Our text today is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, but we will be spending the bulk of our time in 1 John chapters 3 and 4. So if you um, are not ambidextrous or not coordinated enough to flip back and forth, I just suggest you go to 1 John chapter 3 because we'll be spending most of our time in uh, 1 John 3 and 4. But this is week number 8 of our series on habits of highly effective Christians from 2 Peter chapter 1. The paragraph is verses 5 through 9. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. Habit number eight, love one another. Add to your brotherly kindness, love. Now, you may remember from our very first lesson back in January that the words add to are implied before each of these sets. It's add to your knowledge, self-control. Add to self-control, perseverance. And you may remember, I hope you remember, that that word add to, that phrase, originally meant to lead a choir or to keep things in tune. And so what we've been saying is these are eight notes or qualities that God wants to work together to produce beautiful music in and through our lives. So he says to knowledge add self-control because we all know people that have knowledge but they use their knowledge as a means of bullying and manipulating so you need to add to that self-control. You may know people that have self-control once. <laughs> and, and, and Peter said, no, self-control is an ongoing thing. So to your self-control, you need to add perseverance so that you can be consistent day after day making the right decisions. So these qualities are not linear. They're not stair-step. It's not like, okay, we're at number eight, we're done. No, they flow into each other. They flow out of each other. They are, again, a set of notes, if you will, that God wants to make beautiful music with in our lives. They are. Practice spiritual diligence. He says, make every effort. He says, choose the best. Increase your spiritual knowledge. Develop self-control. Develop endurance. Develop godliness. Practice brotherly kindness. And today, love one another. And last week we looked at brotherly kindness, which is the Greek word Philadelphia, brotherly love. This is the word, as you might expect, agape. It's that word for divine love. It's the love of 1 Corinthians 13, that if you're familiar with the King James, it's that word that's translated charity. It is agape, divine love. The challenging thing is, as we'll see this morning, God is telling us through Peter, the way God loves you is the way you are to love one another. 
<laughs> that agape, divine love. Love is so frequently misinterpreted in our society. There are probably more songs written about love in every genre of music than any other subject. And not many of them have any idea of the biblical concept of love. I mean, there have been some profound songs written about love, like, I woke up in love this morning, went to sleep with you on my mind, <laughs> or I think I love you. Now, there's what everybody wants to hear, right? I think I love you. Or, hello, I love you, won't you tell me your name? You know, that these are not descriptions of biblical love. Some of you don't even remember those songs. These are not descriptions of biblical love. If you want a description of biblical love, go to 1 John chapters 3 and 4. John tells us here, and if you'll keep your, your scriptures open there, I'm, I'm not going to read these entire passages, we're just going to refer to them. He tells us in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 4 that love comes from God. Dear friends, let's love one another, 1 John 4, 7, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Consistently through scripture, we are told to love one another. From the great commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. John writes a lot in 1 John about love, and, and there's an old tradition that says that as John was nearing the end of his life, he had called his congregation together and encouraged them, I want to remind you, love one another. And the tradition says, that's all you tell us. We want something new. Give us a new commandment. And he wrote, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment that you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Remember Jesus prayed, Father, may the world know that they are mine because they are one and they love each other. Now, we humans tend to love each other if. If you treat me right, if you give me what I'm looking for, then I'll love you. Or we will love because. I love you because you've got a lot of money. <laughs> I love you because you've got the right last name and I can use your contacts to build my business. I love you because, you know, whatever. God's love is in spite of. God loves us in spite of. In spite of what he knows about you, he loves you. In spite of what he knows, he loves us. The one who knows us the best loves us the most. That's an incredible truth about God. Please hear that. God loves you. He is love. How did he demonstrate that love? Chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Chapter 4, verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. 
this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. When the Bible says God is love, that doesn't mean he had some kind of warm, fuzzy feeling toward us. It means that he gave himself to us through Christ. Somebody said the word love needs a dictionary. And for Christians, the dictionary is Christ. So when you say love, think Jesus. That's the example and pattern and demonstration of love. Not that we loved God because we didn't, but that he loved us and gave his son to pay the price for our sins. Therefore, John says, we need to apply that love in our relationships with each other. Chapter 3, back to verse 16. <clears throat> this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. John here is calling us away from that superficial love, words and speech. You know, anybody can say the words. He's calling us to a supernatural demonstration of that love in actions and truth. To help us understand that, John uses two interesting phrases or words. In verse 16, he uses that phrase, lay down our lives. Now, we understand that Jesus laid down his life for us. This is how we know what love is. Christ laid down his life for us. We talk about it at Christmas. We talk about it at Easter. We talk about it all year long. God loves you, and he demonstrated that love by giving us Jesus, who laid down his life for us. Which is good until John says, so we ought to lay down our lives for one another. So wait a minute. <clears throat> Years ago, I was preaching through 1 John, and uh, I found a book, little book, by a man named Reuben Welch called We Really Do Need Each Other. And it is one of the best devotional books on 1 John I have found. And um, he informs a lot of the rest of our lesson today. And I'm going to quote him rather extensively because I can't improve on how he said it. But the way he applies uh, the truth of these phrases just enlightened me. And, and so I want to share it with you. Here's what he says. I mean, I love you but I won't, don't want to die for you, not before Monday anyway, and I don't think you want to die for me. And I'm not sure it would hold, help a whole lot even if you did. You know? Yeah, you know, when we, and so and he goes on to say, we need to understand that Jesus laid down his life for us well before he went to the cross. The very fact that he became a man was him laying down his life for us. There is a powerful passage, Philippians chapter 2 or 3, I uh, just drew a blank, but it's where he says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ, who emptied himself, made himself of no reputation, 
and humbled himself to come down as a man. Jesus laid down his life in that Bethlehem manger. Jesus laid down his life the moment that he laid aside all of those divine prerogatives and came down. Now, he didn't lay aside his deity. He was always deity. But he laid aside some of those prerogatives and privileges of deity to come live on this earth as a human. That was laying down his life. Laying down your life for one another doesn't necessarily mean go out and die for them. It means lay down your life for them. And, and maybe if we look at the opposite concept, it will help us understand it. Because we know what it is to hold things back. We know what it is to try to have a reserve. You know, we, we, we know what it is to try to preserve. We have a very strong instinct for self-preservation. Uh, I'm learning that. You know, in my physical therapy sessions, she says, oh man, you've been, you know, compensating for this for a long time. She said, why are you doing it that way? I said, oh, she says, because that's how you had to do it for not to hurt. She said, that's not the way you're supposed to do it. You know, we have an instinct for self-preservation. But again, quoting from Welch. We want to save ourselves and keep ourselves and hold ourselves back as though the highest goal in life would be to look good in our caskets. It's no special blessing to come to the end of life with love unshared, selves ungiven, deeds undone. When I read this passage, I keep asking myself, what am I saving myself for? As long as we're going to live and then die, let's live for Jesus and love and let ourselves be used up. Laying down our lives. I tried to find where I found this illustration and I couldn't find where I found it. <laughs> but, but I remember years ago, Kimberly was in high school, so that was a long time ago. I ran across this illustration when we think about laying down our lives, our, our human ego wants to do it in big, dramatic, bombastic ways. When we were pastoring in South Carolina, a, a priest in South America, they were going through some political upheaval in his community, and he was blessing the elements for the Eucharist and he had the the cup in his hands raised to bless it and he was assassinated at that moment and I had a pastor friend he said that's how I want to go out I want to go out you know we want to go out bombastic you know some big dramatic way you know that's and and we it's like we want our lives to be a thousand dollar bill so here God look at this great sacrifice I'm making God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that $1,000 bill and I want you to go to the bank and I want you to exchange it for quarters. And then I want you to lay down your life. 25 cents here, 50 cents here, every once in a while a dollar, maybe every once in a while $5, but mostly a quarter here and a quarter there. Yes, I know that teenager has had their heart broken 85 times, but listen to them one more time as they go through it again. Yes, 
go visit that shut-in. Yes, go the extra mile. Just lay down your life. Not in big dramatic ways, but in small ways. Because hopefully you've lived long enough to know that laying down your life in small ways like that can make a huge impact on the other person. Lay down your life. Be kind. Be patient. Be loving. Let the person in the parking lot who wants the same parking space as you, let them go ahead, even though you were there first and had your signal light on. You know, stop and let the person in front of you on Washington Road, I know it's going to make you 45 seconds later, but stop. And Donna's saying, are you listening to yourself, preacher? <laughs> you know, just, just lay down your life. Small deeds, small actions, consistently. That's love. Lay down your life. The second phrase is the phrase pity. Verse 17. If you have no pity on them. Some translators use the word heart. And, and, and it means compassion. And it's hard to define where that is. You know, what does it mean to have pity? Um, somebody put it this way. When you've had your feelings hurt, where's the pain? When you're heavy-hearted, where's the weight? When there's tension in your life, where's the stress? That's what this word means. It, it means to not be aloof and untouched and uninvolved. And he says, and it's very important that we understand what he says, if you have the ability to help, and it's a brother or sister, who is in need, it's talking about the family of God, and you're untouched and aloof and uninvolved, how can you say God loves you? The kind of love God has for us is not aloof, it's not uninvolved, it's not untouched. In fact, he is touched with the feelings of our weaknesses. And part of laying down our life comes from having that compassion having that pity on your brother and sister in need, and if you can help, you help. So how can we apply these two principles or these two phrases in our daily living? First of all, remember that we show our love for God by loving others. Christ laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Chapter 4, verse 21, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Our love for God is best demonstrated by our love for other people. If you want to show God how much you love him, don't just sing repetitively, I love you, Lord, how I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord. In fact, Lord, I love you, Lord, and I'll live for him who died for me. No. I mean, it's fine to do that. But John says the way you demonstrate that you love God is you go find somebody who's more needy than you are, and you love them, and you care for them, and you become involved helping them. The flow of God's love into us is to be out toward other people. In chapter 4, verse 20, it says, If you claim to love God, but you hate your brother or sister, you're a liar. And so he's saying the, 
God loves us. We demonstrate our love for God by loving other people. And we do it in practical ways. Verse 18 of chapter 3, Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Let's love in actions and truth. See, love is not an emotion. Love is an act of the will. Love is something you do, not something you feel. And that's where our society has messed up the church. Love is not how you feel. Love is something you do. It's an act of your will. I ran across a quote earlier in the week, and I lost it somewhere along the line. It said, if you're worried about loving your neighbor, act like you love them, and eventually you will. You know, and, and that's kind of what John is saying. It's, it's what you do. It's not what you feel. I mean, you read 1 Corinthians 13, patient and kind and loving and thinking, man, that's an act of the will. Doesn't matter how you feel. It's something you do, not something you feel. It means to care for people as people. It means to listen, to really listen. I, 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 in my younger days, I wish I'd have been better at writing down where I got some of these phrases and quotes and things. But somewhere along the line, I ran across somebody who said, anybody can be a heart specialist. The only requirement is love somebody. And love means to listen, to really listen. To listen, to hear, and understand, not to respond. How many times when we listen to somebody, we're already formulating what we're going to say? And then we miss, you know, it's like um, some of the game shows and somebody thinks they know the answer and they buzz in before the question has fully been asked and the last five words of the question totally changes what they thought it was. How many times does that happen when you're talking to somebody and you've got the answer already and then they throw a monkey wrench into it and you weren't listening? Love means to really listen. I've told you this before, but this also comes from, from Welch's book. He talks about his dad, and he says, we lived way out in the country. We lived 20 miles from town. And he said, people would drive all the way from town just to talk to my dad. And he said, I could tell they were hurting. And he said, sometimes he kind of got as close as he could, you know, unobtrusively to kind of listen to what was going on. He said, sometimes they were crying. Their hearts were broken. They were just hurting. And they're pouring out their hearts to my dad. And he says, my dad was saying stuff like, huh, my, my, isn't that a sight? And then they'd talk some more. And they'd just pour out their hearts and they'd cry and they'd talk about how much they were hurting. And dad would say, my, my, isn't that a sight? And he said, that would go on for 20 minutes. And then they'd say, well, thank you, Mr. Welch. You sure helped me. And they got in their car and drove 20 miles back to town. And he said, as a kid, I thought, how stupid is that? 
How did that help anything? But he says, as I've gotten older, I've understood. 20 miles isn't too far to drive to somebody who will listen to you and hear you and care. You don't have to have great answers. Most of the time, people aren't looking for answers. They're just looking for somebody to say, my, my, isn't that a sight? Somebody to listen to what they're That's love, listening. Love sees the person as an individual person, not part as a group. See, so many times we, we judge people by groupings and not by the individual person. I, I was much more sensitive to this or aware of this um, when I first moved down south from the north. Ah, he's a Yankee. You know how Yankees are. You know, you, you know how Yankees are. And then Southerners go up north and say, my goodness, those people are mean up there. Nobody smiles, nobody says hello, nobody talks to you. you know, and, and if we're not careful, we lump people into their groupings. And we judge them by ethnicity or demographic or you know, wealth or whatever, instead of looking at them as an individual person. And, and we need to take the time to get to know people as people. Don't just judge, well, you know how they are. No, get to know them. And then, and, and this is something that's hard, love is giving someone what they need, not necessarily what they want. Now, every parent, every good parent <laughs> understands that at some level. That it is not necessarily love when you give your children everything they want. You give them what they need. And that becomes more difficult as an adult when we're trying to love people. And there are people who are givers and there are people who are takers. And if they get matched up, the taker's going to take, take, take and the giver's going to give, give, give and eventually the giver's not going to have anything left to give and the taker's still going to want to be taken. And we need to understand love is giving somebody what they need. Jesus talked about, don't cast your pearls before swine. Jesus said, if you go into a town and they refuse you, shake the dust off your feet and go somewhere else. I mean, those are principles that need to be thought about as we live our lives in our society today. Now, wouldn't it be nice if you could do that at work? I'm sorry, I'm shaking the dust off my feet. Well, yeah, shake it off all the way out to your car and go home. But, you know, I, I just, you know, there may be times in the work environment where, where there's almost basically abuse going on because they keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And, and I just pray that you will pray that God will give you wisdom to know how to handle the thing appropriately. And, and again, I realize we need income. You've got to be careful. But the principle is there of giving people what they need, not necessarily what they want. And again, that's hard. Man, it's hard, isn't it? No matter, you remember when you thought if your kids ever got out of diapers, life would be so much easier. <laughs> and then you thought, well, if they just grew up, life would be so much easier. Oh, no. I mean, it's hard for parents <clears throat> of adult children to give them what they need, not necessarily what they want. It's hard 
adult to adult sometimes in fellowship to give each other what we need, not necessarily what we want. But love, that's what love is. It's laying down our lives. God doesn't always give us what we want. I told one of my kids the other day, I'm praying for you, but you need to remember and understand God's been saying no to a lot of my prayers recently. You know, God doesn't always give us what we want. He gives us what we need. John says, here's how you demonstrate love. Not words and speech. Actions. Truth. Well, you can't talk about love without at least reading an excerpt from 1 Corinthians 13. This is the message paraphrase. Love never gives up. It cares more for others than for itself. It doesn't want what it doesn't have. It doesn't strut. Doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. And Peter said, add to your brotherly kindness divine love. These eight notes that God uses to create beautiful music in our lives. Let's read that paragraph from 1 Peter one more time before we say goodbye to 1 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter, I'm sorry. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting they've been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May it be true of each of us. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine on you and give you his peace now and evermore. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being here today. God bless you. Go in peace.